Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, and the library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. It can, they can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is also now syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel, so please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. You can find two of my courses on my website at www.phyllisamonassociates.com. For those listeners who are in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, Resilience Toolbox Secrets features empathy, a word I've trademarked teaching self-care, self-kindness, and self-compassion strategies that will help you recharge, reset, and recommit. And family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. And music and memory founder Dan Cohn and I have just finished a five-day challenge called Musical Keys to Memory teaching families the whys and hows of creating personal playlists for their loved ones living with dementia, who will help them have more engaging, dynamic, and enjoyable times together. The challenge is based on a course we developed titled Coming Alive with Music and Communicating Effectively with Persons Living with Dementia. And I'm proud to say we had participants from Australia, the UK, and the Dominican Republic. Look out for announcements and information on the next challenge uh, that we'll be doing, as well as other ones in the elder care space. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm proud to say that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I'm hoping to have an audio version of the book in the near future, and I appreciate your support and hope you'll help spread the word on this all-important topic. Senior Stray Talk is very proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network a global peer peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network will continue bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm also glad that Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, is a sponsor of Senior Straight Talk. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. 
And before we begin, I have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And now for today's guest. I am actually quite open about my admiration for Bill Thomas. I'm sure he's heard about it because I tell everyone how I feel about Dr. Bill Thomas. I'm beyond thrilled that he's agreed to share his time with me again on Senior Straight Talk. Dr. Bill Thomas is a visionary who has totally transformed how we think about and design nursing homes so they people can live a dignified, respectful life in an environment that provides quality care, quality of life, and life with purpose. In addition to this, his book, Life Worth Living, he's written one of my favorites in the arms of elders and what are old people for. After transforming a small nursing home in upstate New York, he created the Eden Alternative and the Greenhouse Project. And the Wall Street Journal said greenhouses are nothing less than a revolution and said the greenhouse concept is the most comprehensive effort to reinvent the, nur- reinvent the nursing home. Dr. Bill Thomas has delivered several TED Talks, speaks around the world, and has developed a style of home for older adults called Minka Homes. But I'm hoping today he'll share his latest initiatives and hear his ideas about how we're going to reimagine care for older adults as we are moving forward from the pandemic. It's also the first time I've had the opportunity to have a conversation with him on Senior Straight Talk since he wrote the foreword for the book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, for which I am most deeply honored and extremely grateful. So thanks, Dr. Bill Thomas, for agreeing to share your time with me today. And, thanks uh, for having me on, Phyllis. For our listeners, and uh, like I said, I, I know you know, I, I tell everyone how I feel about you so, um, and your work. So it, this is just such an honor to have you here again. So I know you have some really exciting lading, uh, latest initiatives because I saw an article about them in Politico. I actually posted it on social media. So do you want to talk about that first and foremost? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I, you know we're, we are all entering slowly, carefully into a a new phase of our relationship with the COVID virus. And, uh, you know, the vaccinations are really working and and people are moving around again and uh, hospitalization death rates are falling. It's good news, but it's also a good time to really think about what comes next. So, uh, it was okay to be focused on the immediate moment at the worst points in the crisis, but now we really have to be thinking about the future. And for me, thinking about the future in uh, well-being and health for older people, well-being and health for older people is really a a time to get it right. And so. I've been doing working on a project that involves transforming existing nursing homes into small communities of, of little houses, closely clustered. And uh, maybe the most important thing is uh, these houses are arranged in a way to help people be good neighbors and have good neighbors. So here's the concept put out there for your listeners that I think is going to be important going forward. 
And the concept is neighborliness. So um, we all grew up with neighbors. Uh, we all have neighbors of one kind or another. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've had been really close to our neighbors and sometimes we haven't. Um, but I think that in the future, neighborliness, that is having good neighbors and being a good neighbor, is going to be a really important part of uh, creating and sustaining well-being and protecting independence. So I, I guess I, I would, we'll, we'll get into a back and forth about this, but I guess I would put it out this way. If I had two identical people, both 85 years old, identical health, identical, maybe they're identical twins, okay? And one of the twins lives alone in a house without neighbors, and it's got some family and friends for sure. And the other twin has some family and friends, but lives in a densely clustered neighborhood where he or she really knows his or her neighbors, and they really know him or her. That is a person who's going to be have greater health, less social isolation, and I would say uh, a, a, a longer period of independence um, than the person living alone. So that's the first thing I just want to put out there. Neighbors are the new frontier mm. of aging. Well, this is very interesting because as you're talking – I mean, isn't it, it's all about being a good neighbor. And what year did Mr. Rogers uh, talk about being a good neighbor? And it's interesting to me that, he, you know, there have been documentaries now and movies about him in the last couple of years. So this yeah. really goes along with that concept. It's not about children necessarily. It's about our lives in general. Yeah. So uh, there's lots of evidence that, neighborliness is good for people of all ages. And it's also interesting that um, although we can live in a place where all of our neighbors are about our age, that does happen. Um, we, we don't define neighborliness primarily in terms of age. N nobody, nobody has a neighbor uh, and, and you go, wait a minute, you can't be my neighbor. You're the wrong age. Or the wrong says, whatever. Or the wrong yeah. whatever. Or the whatever. wrong whatever. Right. You could be a neighbor. So it's one of the actually comparatively few uh, social concepts that's not, doesn't contain uh, an age qualifier. Um, so uh, I like that. And um, I, I think that in the future, we're going to be seeing more and more people clustering together, people of different ages, uh, clustering together. And, which, um, which is the antithesis of, I'll call them aging communities, right? Well, so there's a, there's a, a pretty big chunk of our society that functions on explicit, the explicit premise that segregating older people is the right move. And, uh, you know, you can think of all kinds of examples, but uh, 
we we as a society chose a path of age segregation. Uh, really got it rolling about 50 or 60 years ago, but but I think that's starting. There's crack showing in that, and that um, if you talk about the boomer generation, you know, in a few years the youngest boomer in America will be 60. Right. And um, if you if you think about that, there's there's not a big appetite for age segregation in the boomer population. So mm-hmm. we are going to be seeing more multi generational concepts. I think. Uh, and that uh, the uh, while I understand the the purpose or the concept behind creating those communities, I'm sure most people do. Uh, it created, I think or reinforce this idea of older people as others. It's, it's right. just what you said. It's segregation. It's those people over there. It's other people. They're playing shuffleboard. Yeah, them. Yeah. It's them. It's them. We don't have to think about them. They're safe in their little community, and that's very nice. Yeah, there's actually a, a lot of evidence that uh, segregation, of all, all, all kinds of segregation, inflames the isms. Right. So when when you have a society that says, yeah, we're segregating this group of people, it doesn't heal the isms. It makes them worse. Correct. So in our setting here, we're talking about age. So we talk about ageism. So age segregation actually inflames ageism. Right. And nobody benefits from that. Uh, and the, I, I, I was doing some writing about this recently and, I was trying to find a, a peer-reviewed paper that said concluded that segregating people by age was a good thing. Couldn't so find I went, one. I could, I could not find <laughs> I, somehow, one. How, somehow, how did this happen? There's not... You're leading me there. I kind of knew the answer to that. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine? I knew the answer to something you were saying. <laughs> yeah. So I could not find one, uh, and I and uh, your listeners may, if any of your listeners know of one, they should write to you and right. uh, you let me know because I'd I'd love to read it. But um, but it's really quite a mismatch in that you have a big sector of the residential housing care, the big sector of the economy organized around a principle that I can find no basis for. It's just right. really a, a prejudice. And and I'll tell you the prejudice, which is when you say it out loud, it seems ridiculous. The prejudice is young people are better off if there are no old people around. And old people are better off if there are no young people around. Which, of course, we have found to be totally ridiculous because yeah. the benefits are are astronomical and they're so interconnected. Absolutely. I came up with this concept. I think it's, it's a pretty original concept. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I mentioned it to you when we spoke a few weeks ago, that if we, instead of talking about older people as our future selves, which is something down the road out there, we can't necessarily, necessarily relate to it. Uh, that if we could somehow think that we are all emerging or evolving elders, then this is an active process that lives inside of each of us. It's not something later. It's happening. It's active. We are becoming that and embrace that and embrace the experiences and wisdom that comes with emerging 
as an elder. I wrote an article. I'm trying to get it published someplace. And um, what I said was, you know, it's cute when a, a three-year-old says they're going to be four and, and a uh, nine-year-old um, is thrilled they're going to reach double digits and 19 reaches their 20s. And, you know, all of those stages are great, except when, when you become an older person. And then when you're 70 years old or 80 years old or 90 years old, that oldness is reinforced. But why not just continue that concept of being thrilled that you've reached that point in your life, this zenith? when you have wisdom and experiences that you can pass on and that you live your life according to those. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you on that. And I, 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 part of my medical background, I did obstetrics for a while. And so I attended a lot of births and took care of a lot of newborns. And as I started to transition my career into geriatrics, I would sometimes be in the nursery, uh, and look at all the babies and all the little bassinets, you know, and I would think, wow, they're elders in the making. Well, there you, you go. They're, they're, they're two days into it. Yeah. Hey, and, Bill, whoever would have thought that you and I would have been aligned along that concept. So yeah. Whoever would have thunk it. Listen, I'm, I, I'm writing that and putting that on my mirror, and I'm going to look at that every day. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a doesn't surprise me at all. I think we're aligned on a lot of things. Well, that's very But uh, you know, this idea that uh, age segregation is the answer, uh, I think we ought to reframe that as age segregation is the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, you, this an interesting pivot you made there because you you were really talking. I felt you were really talking about age segregation between our own ears that we actually segregate that older, supposed older person and say, well, I don't know about that person. That person's way out there. And I'm boo do 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 Right. That's not me. Um, That's never going to me. be me. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't yeah. happening. But, so what, what do you got? You're doing age segregation inside your own head. Correct. And, and, and what's the antithesis of that? The antithesis of that is uh, I, I always, um, reference this uh, just very brief interaction I had with someone in a nursing home many years ago. I think he was visiting and um, I asked him how he was and he was said, great. And, um, you know, he was an impaired gentleman. I mean, you could see that from his presentation in some regard. And I, you know, it was great to hear somebody like that say great. And I asked, What's great about today? Why do you feel great today? And he said, because I'm looking at the grass from the top down instead of from the bottom up. I never forgot it. I thought it was great. So what's the antithesis to not being that old person? Do you want to embrace not getting to that point? Because if we pass when we're 40s or 50s, we, we mourn that and say, oh, they didn't get a chance to live a fuller life. But then when you're 70s or 80s or 90s, you're scorned because you've lived that long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Double-edged sword. Yeah. You know, the, uh, this idea that, um, you know, our, that youth, it represents a pinnacle or a peak and that old, old people are measured in essence get with a yardstick that's devi- defined by youth. So one one of the reasons why there are a lot of age just ideas circulate 
is that you take uh, old people, take a yardstick created for youth, measure old people and go, wow, man, they are losers. <laughs> uh, but it turns out if you take a yardstick uh, built around what aging offers and what it does bring to us, and then you measure young people, guess what? They, they, they don't measure up. They do they not measure, measure up. up. They do not measure up. So, but society is like, no, 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 no. We do it this way. And my, my point is this. It isn't like one's better. It's just that let's measure people by the right yardstick. Let's, let's measure toddlers by what's appropriate for toddlers. Yeah. Let's measure adolescents by what's right for adolescents. Fine. Adults, yes. Elders, sure. Everybody gets a yardstick that reflects where they are. And that mismeasure of aging is, uh, does a lot of harm. And it does a lot of harm out in the world, but also between the years. Oh, absolutely. Talking about your models of care, which are revolutionary and, and obviously address these all-important issues about quality of life and quality of care and dignity and respect, you know, I, I, I really glad, especially that I'm talking to you about this today, because it's so disheartening to me when I have to go into a, a, a building and cover as a speech and language pathologist, and I'm in one now, and of course, I'm always advocating for something or other. It's just not popular. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. Everybody who knows me knows this. And I got a call the other day that some owner is complaining about me. I doubt it was the owner, but it doesn't matter. And, um, and uh, but here was the worst part of it. And I um, was yesterday, uh, a colleague uh, in my profession said to me, uh, Phyllis, you just have to lower your standards. And... Um, uh. I think that's going to be a title of an article. When I told it to Dan Cohen, he said you should use that as a title of an article. Um, But my response was, uh, I had two responses. The first one was, that's the problem. Everybody lowers their standards, says this is the way it is. Nobody's making a big fuss or making a lot of noise, um, whether it's because they feel they need it for their job or whatever, and they just go with the flow. I was also told that, go with the flow. And um, that's why nothing ever changes and why things are the way they are. The second thing I did, which I'm sure she stopped listening after the first thing I said, but I couldn't help myself, was I pulled up the forward that you wrote and read her some of it. I know she probably did not hear one word of what I said, but um, obviously she got the word that people were complaining about me. So mm-hmm. I read that passage to her about how difficult it is to walk that path. And I, yeah. you know, um, obviously she doesn't want to walk that path. And so she's not going to walk that path. So basically she was telling me, like, shut up and just go with the flow. Yeah. I, I, I would like, this is a great opportunity to get, uh, you know, uh, the late representative John Lewis used to say, you know, make good trouble. Right. right. So, so. I find, uh, like you, uh, that there are certain people who are freely uh, and openly critical and dismissive of the work I do and feel that uh, I'm more trouble than I'm worth. And 
I actually have worn that as a badge of honor. Um, and, and I, cause I want to distinguish it from another kind of trouble. And I think John Lewis would do the same, but when the trouble you're making is on behalf of people less powerful than you, you're doing the right thing. And yes, it's trouble. And people are like, you're making trouble. <laughs> but you're making trouble on in support of people who have less power than you do. When you make trouble because you're you're making trouble based on your own needs. And I, everybody needs to advocate for themselves sometimes, but I'm, I'm talking about this being difficult. Um, when you're being difficult so that you can arrange the world to please you, that's not so fun. And those people are not so helpful. And uh, they don't get much currency from me. So, you know, you're colleague wasn't able to distinguish the two kinds of trouble. All the, all she was saying is like, Phyllis is making critical comments. Brah. Well, yes, but I'm making them in support of, and as an ally of people who can't speak for themselves. And that's a different thing than I want a dedicated park spot. Cause I'm <laughs> special, you know, and like, no. So anyway, those two kinds of trouble need always need to be sorted. And um, for troublemakers, it's always good to review in your mind, okay, what's my goal here? As long as you're really clear about what your goal is, have at it. Right. I will just, before we go to break, just end with uh, this, this, that in every building that I've gone to where they, you know, I, I'm advocating for some kind of change that would allow for better care or treatment or whatever it is, I say, listen, this is not about me. My name is not going on the marquee outside. There's going to be nothing in this building that's going to have my name on it. It's not, this is not about me whatsoever. So I hope you can see that. And I actually, a couple of years ago, uh, there was an administrator. I was in a building. He was complaining about me and it, it got resolved because the COO and I uh, knew each other. And I, I said to him, I, I bet you didn't count on the level of respect we had for each other. But that. But what I said to him was, I bet you thought I should have been minding my business. I said, but the reality is I was minding your business. I, I'm real minding the business of this building, of the the people who are residing here, but also the well-being of the building. And when I said it, he just stopped dead in his tracks. And to this day, you know, we have a very nice collegial relationship. I spoke with him the other day. So on that note, we're just going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, and we'll be right back with Dr. Bill Thomas. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. 
Olive Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Dr. Bill Thomas. We're having a very lively conversation. I think before we left, I think uh, what you were saying got cut off. Let's come back for more trouble. I think that you, that's what you said right before we went to break, right? More yeah. trouble ahead. More trouble ahead. So talking about the, the clusters of homes or smaller homes, minka homes, greenhouses, I don't know how many of the listeners know about that. I I encourage them to look it up. Oh, I am going to tell you a very short story, very short, before I ask you about how we could possibly repurpose or reimagine tradition, the traditional nursing home into, yeah. into that. But so I have another colleague and um, she's, I've known her for a number of years and I spoke with her about a week or so ago because I was telling her, I think about the challenge I was doing with Dan Cohen and um I asked her about something. She said, it's so ironic that you called me today. And she tells me that her mother has been sick for quite a number of months. I remember when she first got sick, but it turns out she had Lewy body dementia. And she passed in a very short period of time, about eight months. But um, first they had her in a nursing home in Florida. And I don't remember if they, she was living with a sibling in Florida. They, they moved her out of the nursing home for her to get in-home care, or she came up here and she was living with her. I didn't quite get that. But the, at the end of the conversation, she said to me, now, I know her through the more traditional nursing home space. At the end of the conversation, she said to me, Phyllis, I now understand what you were talking about. I get it. And just today, before you called, I was looking up the Pioneer Network. Mm-hmm. So if there's, tell me what I could do to get involved or how I can help. But very often that's the issue until someone has that experience personally. Uh, they don't come to that. It's just the reality of life in many circumstances, right? You know, uh, that, this whole thing, the story reminds me of... Uh, map makers back in the middle ages the map makers hadn't caught up with the idea of the earth being round and all they knew was that if once you get out there too far there'd be dragons here that's all they could figure it's just like you get i don't know you get out there there'd be dragons there and uh that's kind of the way it is a lot of times for aging uh People don't think about it. They don't reflect on the reality of it or the injustices associated with it. And then the dragons come and visit. 
and they're like, what? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know there were dragons. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you're like, yeah, I work with them every day. <laughs> uh, and they're like, I can't believe it. We have, but something needs to be done about this, you know. So uh, it's it, it because the center of our society is thought of as being young, youth, youthfulness. The age part of our society is thought to be way out there on the on, on the, the horizon, distant, right. distant horizon. Right. Beyond where you can see or touch or feel. And so for most people, they go through uh, daily life with a focus on, a pure focus on youth. Right. And that goes back to what I was saying about being an emerging elder. But I wanted to continue the conversation because you started out saying about transforming traditional homes. Oh, yeah. And, and um, how practical is that thought? Uh, especially urban versus suburban, you know, they're, okay, so yeah. How, what, what did you grow up? Did you grow up in Brooklyn? Yes. Did, how, you, did, you must've read that someplace. Uh, well, no, I, I hear you talking. No, please. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm not good enough to know what block, but. You know, Listen, wait, yeah. <laughs> this is so funny because I was going to say, I hope it's not, my style of speech, and I chose to say instead, did you read it someplace? Uh, yeah. Um, no. Yeah, I'm a so dead giveaway. You grew I'm up a, in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dead giveaway. Not good. I'm, a, I'm afraid so, yes. <laughs> but I don't, I, it's good. listen to my voice. I grew up in upstate New York, and you can hear it in my voice. Yeah, so. Yes, I can. Oh, yeah. I can. But so that's anyway. much more pleasurable than Brooklyn, actually. Yeah. In my opinion, whatever. So the uh, so uh, I, you got me going. So this idea that um, you grew up in Brooklyn and family lived there a while, and so to whatever what what block what, what was the neighborhood or block or where, where were you? Where, I, you grow I up grew maybe? up in East Flatbush. East Flatbush. A densely populated area. And yeah. just to let you know, there was a small nursing home a few blocks away from us where my grandmother moved into because she could yeah. no longer. That's the story, right? How yeah, I got, got to this space, right? You bet. So, but here's my point. Let's, t- let's walk. Let's imagine we jump in our teleporter. We're now in East Flatbush. We're walking down the street. And you're going to say to me, what? That was the delicatessen. Right. And now, now it's a Apple computer repair store. Or right. wait, what? That was a dry cleaner. Not anymore. Right. What? I goes all. You go all the way down the street, and you're like, correct. Correct. And for the people who are growing up in Brooklyn today, the same thing is going to happen to them. They're going to be like, what happened to the Apple repair store? Right. You know, absolutely. Now they're selling tickets to the moon. Right. You know, whatever. Whatever the deal is. But here's my point about this. People always reuse old stuff. They, there's nothing new about it. I mean, right. nobody goes into East Flatbush and just levels the block and just builds something. Compl- they, 
adapt what's there. They make use of it. They change it. They modify it so that it fits what they need now. Right. And and that story goes whew, way back. I, 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 the reason I brought up Flatbush is you can really see it there uh, as you can feel it. And right. pe- people listening, you, you have places where you grew up where you can see it and feel it. But But here's my thing. Why would we think that nursing homes were somehow immune to this effect? That of all the stuff that gets reused and remade, nursing homes, no, they cannot be changed. They, they must always be like they are. No, they, no. They're going to change because everything changes. And I do not buy the argument that they have some eternal license be what they've always been well but um the people who own and operate them uh operate them largely on the same blueprint i you uh, anybody familiar with it can see that blueprint Uh, the new people coming into the industry the future generations of the older people continue to operate along that same blueprint how do we transform that? How do we change that? Well, a big thing that's bigger than you or me or us together, a big thing that's happening is a, a shift of money and resources and expertise away from institutions and toward home and community-based services. Right. Um, and, and you have to think about this as a pendulum. It's not like, oh, it's all done. We've made the, no, we're just starting the shift where more dollars, more expertise, more technology, more systems are going to move into home and community-based services. And so what's going to happen just like that. Um, so give me, give me that shoe repair shop that you remember in Flatbush, right? Uh, it's not there anymore. Right. I'm because thinking of the butcher, whatever. The Butchers butcher. don't even yeah, the exist butcher. anymore. They don't right. even exist anymore. So the butcher. So what happened is uh, new technology, new systems, new approaches came in. And over time, that butcher couldn't, it wasn't a paying enterprise to keep a butcher shop going in Flatbush. So right. they closed, rented, the you know, landlord rented it out and it became something else. So uh, same thing here is, yeah, nursing homes, as they've been, would, are like crocodiles. They'll not, they would stay the same for 40 million years unless they were acted on by some outside pressure. And the outside pressure is really home and community-based services. So they're going to find in the years ahead, it's just going to be more and more challenging to get the staff, meet the regulations, uh, run the business. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. I, I agree with that. I don't think the present model model is sustainable according to the, the for-profit, um, the for-profit structure, the way it's, the way it's presently going. But what I fear and, and really worry about and have seen is that as the profit margins are squeezed, the services are going to be squeezed in order to maintain the profit, profit. margin at the other level. And, mm-hmm. and 
and this is this is this is what I'm seeing. Um, even worse than it was, even worse than it was before. I mean, yeah. in, a, in a way, while I hate the fact, uh, and you know, you attract what you don't want. Uh, so in a way that I, I really can't stand the fact that I, I wind up back in these buildings. Um, I know I'm doing good for individual people, but in a way it's a good thing because I'm seeing the squeezing in real, in real yeah. time. Yeah. So, and, and people, I'm going to say, people are going to get hurt. Um, I, I wish that wasn't true. However, I could say that we have to, there has to be pressure on those entities or they will not change. Correct. So, I wish, I wish it was just more like magic pixie dust. Right. Uh, so where is that pressure going to come from? Because well, the lobbying end of the, for-profit industry is substantial. Yeah, I agree. But, but the trouble, the trouble is this. Um, yes, and they are. It is substantial. But there's a a, a cycle that has been going on for a couple of decades, at least now, at least um, that is going to accelerate. The cycle is people don't want to go to the nursing home. Correct. I think we can safely say that. Uh, in terms of voters and consumers, nobody goes to, we live in the state of New York, but nobody goes to Albany to rally and protest for higher nursing home reimbursement rates. You know, I mean, they, they, they might go and lobby for more regulation. Yeah, but nobody's out there going, nursing homeowners need more money. Okay, so that means that all the there's no public lobbying for this. Correct. There's private lobbying, but as reimbursement falls farther and farther behind what it takes to kind of run the place, there are more problems with quality. And man, I mean, again, we live in New York. We don't even have to talk about that uh, with COVID and oh my goodness gracious. So quality declines. And there's more pressure on regulation and less inclination to give them more money. Quality declines, more pressure for regulation, less inclination to give them more money. And people eventually say, wow, it's not a business I want to be in. So I, when I started in the field, uh, the, the recorded number was 19,000 nursing homes in America. The last number, and it changes all the time. The last number right. I saw was 13,000. Really? Oh. Yes. Hmm. So it's really the last number I saw had gone from 15,600 to 15,000. So oh, now. 15,000? Okay. Oh, but but right. it could be 13,000. It could have dwindled from there. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. Let's see. Yeah, I was going uh, to say. Let's look it up. Yeah, let's look it up. Because I. Uh, uh, my point is that, uh, yeah, well, I, well, it's not current. Oh, it's just 2019. Uh, I see the 15,600 number. Right. 17,000 back in 2000. So let's, let's, because I like being accurate, let us say that, oh, yeah, 
Um, yeah, here's the 2020 numbers, 15,600. Oh, so wow. I'm gonna, okay. Yep, yep. So let's stick with that. Um, okay. So we go from uh, clo high teen thousands, you right. know, six, 17, down to 15,600. And where did they go? Well, they, they, that wasn't, for whatever reason, they didn't have a sustainable business. I don't know what the deal was, but right. they, clo they closed. Right. So that's a, that's a pretty significant shrinkage. And here's the point I want to make. A pretty significant shrinkage in the, fa in the face of the greatest demographic bulge mm. of aging Mm -hmm. Where you would, everybody used to say, you would probably remember this. Oh, you're yeah, going to have to build a lot of nursing homes. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, and instead, the number went down. Right. <laughs> right. All right. So, I'm, and I'm not even saying zero. I'm just saying the number is going to keep going down. Correct. And more people are going to have more choices that are not classical cinder block nursing homes. They're going to have other, other possibilities. Right. That's where we get into the thing you were talking about, which is it's going to change. How's it going to change? That's the question. I don't, I don't spend any time anymore arguing that the number of nursing homes is going to go down because it's going down. Yeah. I spend time arguing about what comes next. Right. Right. So, so, do you think there is, without this, this shrinking profit margin or, I mean, I've been in several buildings. There are floors closed. There are units closed. Yeah. There are empty buildings. We didn't even get into that, did we? Yeah, we right. didn't even get into that. So what will, what will be the, 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 the turning point? What will be the hinge that will swing the door? Into, yeah, point. yeah, yeah. Them saying, "Aha, we have to do something different here." Yeah. So the answer, I think, is when a better option emerges, and the choice isn't, "Can I just keep operating the nursing home I have, or is it better for me to adopt this?" new model that actually works better, is easier, more profitable. Um, that's the question. So you can't beat something with nothing. Right. Now, uh, in politics, they, elections, they say you can't beat somebody with nobody. So in this case, you can't beat nursing homes with nothing. Right. Just saying, I'm not happy. Right. Not, it's not enough. Right. You have to have something. So an alternative. And uh, so, so this, uh, this, this project that you're embarking on, uh, which is in, um, is it in Tennessee? Uh, yes. Yeah. Erin, Tennessee. Uh, uh, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when is that going to be able, when is that going to come to fruition or be oh, so Construction starts in six weeks. Oh, awesome. So, Yay. yeah, that's fantastic. And how, how 
is that going to be translated around the country, do you think? Or do you think it will be? Or well, I think it will be. Um, and what I'm really hoping for, and it would give, make me super delighted, is that we do a few of these small, clustered pocket neighborhoods with an emphasis on neighborliness. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and people start going, wow, now that's interesting to me. That's something I might want to be part of. And people of different ages move in. And then, and here's the thing I'm hoping for, hoping for, people start copying it. Right. Because that's all I care about is that there's more choices, more options, more opportunities for people. Um, but you can't, you can't say, oh, we're going to make it all better. But I have to control all the ideas and all the people and everything. I don't, I don't care, I want that. I want people to copy the best parts and improve the worst parts and make it better. That's my I, goal. I agree. So um, in terms of financing for or uh, people listening to this, thinking, well, how expensive would that be? Would insurance yeah. cover it? How would it be paid for? Uh, what, what's so, that about? So in the old days, and we're talking about nursing home type care here. Right. In the old days, either you paid out of pocket or basically Medicaid. Paid. Right. There's a few few other examples, the long-term care insurance, but that's the main thing. And most people know that. So what's different now or different with this model is that there are actually lots of different sources of money. So there's some money that people have that they can use to pay rent. But as you know from your work, Medicare has changed the rules substantially on what certain qualified plans can pay for. And at the, at the, at the most superficial level, you can read about, oh, if you get this Medicare plan, you get a gym membership or yeah, right, right. A, a toaster or something. Right. I don't know. But, uh, but it actually goes way deeper than that. So that um, there's more home and community-based services, more money for home and community-based services. So if you live in a place where you have really great neighbors, and you are a good neighbor, and you pitch in some of your money, and you're qualified for more home and community-based services, you can live where you want to and how you want to for longer. So in a way, it's almost like a communal structure. Yes. I I would say um, it's a place where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would say about classical nursing homes is that in a lot of ways, the whole is less than the sum of its parts. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. I, I, absolutely. And in actuality, I don't see it as a whole. It's not a community at yeah, all. That's true. Different than... It's atoms. Uh, yeah. yeah, different like, yeah, different than greenhouses or, or anything like that, which really is, it's a, it really is a community. Uh, this, nursing homes are not a community. They, they, they want to 
call it some, some places have cute community names or whatever. It's, those are just names. Uh, it's not how the environment actually functions. I, I tell that. To I just want, I want to tell you something. I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, huh. I just, love it. Just, just a name. I can, I can say that, can't I? Yeah, it's just a name. I, I'm, I'm looking here, Phyllis Amon, Miss America. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah, I could say anything I'd like. Yeah, you could like go go to the store. Do you realize you're talking to Miss America? <laughs> you're right. You'd be like, no, I'm I'm not. Right. A name and, by uh, other a name by any other name doesn't apply in that circumstance at all. So I tell people, uh, you know, when you go to these places, oh, this is this community in this neighborhood and this, this, I say, that's just the name, but ask these questions. You'll find out that it's not functioning that way. It's functioning in a traditional way. They just put that name on it to make it sound cute. And to, uh, that's, that's not what you're going to get, unfortunately. But, um, I think at that point, I mean, I could go on with you forever and, well, it was fun chatting. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah, hopefully so. So thanks. Right. I, I, hey, hey. It's, it's just terrific. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to see not only this project, but looking to see it expand and uh, really too. take shape across the country. So I just want to say to the listeners, please join us next time for the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. This is Phyllis Amon signing off. Remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.